Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators? Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we share stories of people who experienced horrible things and try to imagine what they went through, as well as look for opportunities that could have made a difference and encourage people to help others that are being abused. Mary Vincent had been trying to hitch a ride from Berkeley, California, which is near San Francisco, down to Corona, California, near Los Angeles. She accepted a ride from 51-year-old Larry Singleton. She called him out for missing the exit and driving the wrong way. Soon after he apologized for this mistake, he pulled off the interstate to relieve himself. He pulled onto a secluded road and got out to pee. Mary got out to stretch, and as she bent over to tie her shoes, something happened to her that would change her life forever. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Rosie. And I'm Ryan. And this is part two of the Mary Vincent, Larry Singleton story. So if you haven't listened to episode 59 yet, pause this one and go back to that one. Otherwise, let's just jump right back into the story. Before we jump in, how are you doing? I'm good. It's still Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) We just uh, got done recording last week's episode about one minute ago. Obviously, Sundays are a day of great pleasure and joy. So much better than Mondays. Yeah. We want to start recording. When we're happy. Yeah, when we're happy because sometimes we record and... We're sad. Yeah, and we don't want to be any more sad than the stories already are. So we're going to start trying to record when we're happy. But anyway, <laughs> let's jump into part two. Okay, now that we got that done. After Singleton's neighbor identified him to the police, he was arrested. He completely denied having any involvement at first. But after a bit more prodding by police, he admitted he had been with two other guys and they had picked up Mary as a hitchhiker. Larry told them that the two other guys were the ones that did all the terrible things to Mary. So here's another example of what a complete idiot this guy was. One of the names he gave the police for who these other guys were was Larry. What? His own name. Really thinking on his feet there, huh? Clearly, he did not think he would be getting caught so soon. No. You gotta hand it to that sketch artist, though. Like, Yeah, that was a talented sketch artist. Yeah. He told investigators that Mary had offered the three of them sex in exchange for money. Then he degraded Mary, saying, She's just a whore who got violent. He said that that's why the other guys attacked her. Is he seriously trying to tank the character of his victim? Like, trying to downgrade her worth because she was, quote-unquote, just a whore? Which she wasn't even. Yeah. It sounds like he's saying, It's okay, she was just a sex worker. Like, that makes it okay to brutalize her? How does chopping off her arms come into defending against a violent sex worker? Like, this guy is such a 
crab stain. The things that you come up with are always so intriguing to me. Well, I'm trying not to swear while I'm being pissed off. I like that. It's really nice. (laughs) Thankfully, the police didn't buy his crazy stories, and he was charged with several different crimes related to what he did to Mary. The charges were kidnapping, forcible rape, two counts of oral copulation by force, forcible sodomy, mayhem, and attempted murder. In case you're wondering, mayhem was the legal term at the time in California for dismemberment. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and other podcasts dove deeper into that and the history behind it, so we're not going to dive into that because okay. we're not a law podcast. During the trial, Larry continued lying about the other two men that attacked her. But he could never provide any identities for who they were. He told the court that she was a pothead runaway that threatened to maim him and accuse him of rape if he didn't drive her to L.A. So what the heck? He's telling her, he's telling them that she threatened to dismember him? Like, how did he get there? He's so ridiculous. Then, after his testimony, as Mary left the courtroom and walked past Larry, he quietly threatened her. If it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job. What a cuck. Continuing to blame and terrorize his victim. Like, he's just trying to, ta- like, cause her terror at this point. Yeah. In the courtroom, threatening, like, Did nobody I should have killed you. you know? No one else heard that threat? I would have been helpful. I don't know, but this is the kind of guy that he's the type that if they know they're legally fine, Mm -hmm. they'll say whatever they want because they know they can get away with it just to be a jerk. But thankfully, on 420, 1979, he was found guilty on all charges. Um, But this is where it gets really enraging. His sentence. So, Rosie, what do you think someone should get for all these charges? Life. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's essentially attempted murder with a whole bunch of rape, torture, and dismemberment thrown in. Right. This. I mean, it was murder except she lived by some crazy chance. Yeah. So. As far as life. he was concerned, he murdered her. Right. Yeah. So, in most places... There has to be proof of intent to be charged with attempted murder. And there's no doubt he meant to kill her. He left her without arms, beaten and pouring blood out of her cuts in a concrete pipe in the middle of nowhere. Assuming she was too traumatized and crippled to get out after being thrown off a 30-foot cliff. So this piece of garbage thought he had killed her. And like you just said, he did... To me, he did murder her, you know? Mm -hmm. He had every intention to, and he thought he had. He should be able to be charged with murder if he left her to die after torture and mutilation like this. So that said, uh, Rosie, can you read his sentence? Larry Singleton was sentenced to 14 years in jail. What? 14. Crap. That's nothing. He not only meant to kill her, but he ruined her entire life. And the lodges wasn't set up to deal with this type of extreme act of vicious terrorism against another human being. But couldn't they have tried to take action to change the law, you know? 
instead of well here here's the thing the judge makes this floppy feather of a statement if i had the power i'd lock him up for the rest of his natural life but what good does that do mary right many people at the time were also outraged and it did lead to a change in the laws but even after these changes the sentence for all these accumulated crimes that larry was charged with would only lead him to a sentence of 31 years. Now, that would probably be life for this 52-year-old walking nightmare, but what if someone did the same crime at age 22? They could get out in their early 50s? Even that seems unjust. It's... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man. so you can dismember a person, you can sodomize them, you can rape them, and you can throw them off a cliff and stuff them in a concrete barrel or whatever. And get put away for a third of your life and still have this two thirds left. <sighs> Not even because of good behavior and all that jazz. Yeah. Just let that sink in, but it gets even worse. Great. Larry Singleton was released six years early because of good behavior. He only served eight years for all these brutal soulless and despicable actions. Yeah. This idiot said that he had searched his conscience and could not see a way where he could be guilty of such a crime. But that considered, he never admitted that he actually did it. So how the heck did he qualify for this early release parole? Six years early. Don't you need to admit to a crime and show remorse to get early release? But this creep got out only eight years for attempted murder. He got out at age 60, which is before most people retire, so he has plenty of time left to ruin the world around him. Wow. It's enraging. And that's exactly what he did. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little out of control angry right now, but it's ridiculous that this is how the law repaid this guy for what he did to Mary. Mm-hmm. So before we get into what he did in the future, we're going to talk about what Mary has had to struggle with. Right. Mary had filed a civil suit against Singleton because he had ruined her life. She sued him for $2.56 million, and she won it. But Lawrence got away without having to pay anything, just like he literally got away with murder. What? Because he was a fat, lazy slob with no job, and so they just let him off. So... Mary literally got nothing to help her with all the expenses and all the trauma she had to deal with. But she won. I know. And apparently they didn't have financial aid back then for people that are sued. Like, because to my understanding nowadays, if you get sued and you can't pay it, like the government will pay it, but then you have to pay them back, you know? But I don't know. It's ridiculous. Mary was not only brutalized and traumatized, but she had lost her arms. She needed something to replace her arms and hands, but prosthetics were really expensive and she had nothing to pay them with. Yeah, can you imagine living life without your hands? Trying to go, just try to go one day or even one hour without using your hands. This is a nightmare of constant frustration and a constant reminder of how she was brutalized. You know, every time she looks at her hands, she remembers what happened to her. Mm -hmm. It's so unfair. And it gets even worse. She was getting a small amount of disability insurance to barely survive on. 
But after getting into a car accident and getting a couple thousand dollars as an insurance payout for the damages, the state took away her disability benefits because they counted the car insurance payout as income. What the heck is wrong with these people? Are they so freaking dense in the head that they can't see this poor crippled woman struggling just to survive? And meanwhile, for Lawrence, they're using thousands of dollars in taxpayer money to provide Mary's attacker with free room and board. But Mary, as the victim, gets nothing? Who the heck is in charge of this disaster? And it just continues to get goofier. From prison, Larry sued Mary for forcibly kidnapping for the purpose of robbery. So he was continuing to double down on his stupid fake story of Mary being the real attacker and the dismemberment and rape just being part of his defense. I mean, what the heck? Could you just lay off her? I can't believe he did that. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it just shows what a narcissist he is, that he thinks that even after he knows what he did to her and he's in jail, first of all, the legal system did, they slapped him on the wrist for what he did. Like, this is nothing. And Mm -hmm. then because of that, he has the confidence to say, oh, maybe I could get some money out of her too, even after everything else I took from her. It's ridiculous. Well, fortunately, he didn't win this suit. So when his daughter Deborah heard what was going on, that he was going to be released early, she actually called law enforcement to see what she could do to keep him behind bars. Yeah, so his own daughter uh, is calling law enforcement trying to keep him behind bars. But they told her there was nothing she could do. All she could do was get a restraining order. So there were some details that spoke about how Deborah felt about her father. We had just said that she didn't want her father getting out of prison. Apparently, she had even gone to police about her fear of him before he attacked Mary. But her complaints fell on deaf ears, and they didn't take her seriously. Which really says a lot about what kind of father he was. He was apparently always fighting with her after, her, after his wife died, and she didn't feel safe around him. All they could offer Deborah upon his release was a restraining order. She had gone to great lengths to get away from her father, including changing her name multiple times and moving to different states. And the only thing police suggested for her protection was to give her father a piece of paper with her name and address on it, telling him not to go within 300 feet of her. Oh my gosh. So, how stupid is that? I mean... Restraining orders are really problematic if you're trying to hide from a threat. You know, they're basically pointless. Because by the time a dangerous person is caught for violating the order, they've already had plenty of time to hurt you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's basically just saying, hey, this is where they live now. Don't go there. Wink. Wink? Come on. Well, it's (laughs) stupid. Why? I don't think they should have to provide the address. Yeah. And the... You know, it's ridiculous. After healing from her attack, Mary had gone back to school and moved back in with her parents, Lucy and Herb. She was in a school for handicapped people and started seeing a psychiatrist. According to the mom, Lucy, the therapy was bringing up too many unpleasant memories for Mary, and this led her to getting wild again. And I wonder why that detail came from Lucy and not Mary herself, but... 
Can you imagine how traumatized that Mary would be after this? It almost seems like Lucy was expecting her daughter to just go back to normal, you know? But her life has permanently been altered and effectively ruined. It reminds me of Steven Stainer, you know, like the difficulty his parents had supporting their recovering child. And if you missed his story, it's episode 44, but it seems like they just want her to come home and be happy that she's back. And it's like, do you see what just happened to her? I'm sure they had a hard time knowing what to do. Like, it was just such a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. Everybody was confused. Yeah. Herb, the father, was actually so upset about the shakeup in the family that he started plotting to kill Larry and buying guns. But before going through with this, the family broke because of all the stress, and Herb moved to Alaska. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, it's sad to see that her parents seemed to take Mary's ordeal harder than she did. Not only were her parents relatively unsupportive, but... Her friends, her old friends that she had before the attack were overwhelmed and couldn't push themselves to be able to deal with what happened to her, so they drew away from her. Can you imagine being 15-year-old Mary, just brutally victimized, and everyone in your life is making themselves the victim and drawing away from you? No, Mary has gotten absolutely no justice. No. Mary tried to use her experience to benefit her classmates and started giving talks at the school about the dangers of hitchhiking. But she got so many demeaning and disrespectful comments from the other students that she decided to give up on it. What the heck is wrong with these kids? And why aren't the teachers disciplining the kids that are doing this? You know, they gotta learn to respect this girl. But even the freaking psychologist told Mary... Get this, they told her it was harder for her family to deal with what had happened than it was for Mary herself. What kind of idiot doctors are these? How could it possibly be easier for Mary, the victim of the crimes, to get over it than for other people? You know, mm-hmm. she's truly never stopped being victimized here. And whether it's Larry, her parents, her friends, the government... The law, her school, that stupid Corvette, even her therapist. Why is everyone so freaking hard on Mary Vincent? She lost her arms for crap's sake. I'm sorry guys, but I've never been so pissed off about a case before. She got no relief and no support. Thankfully, she did make some good friends later in life and got some recognition, but... The people that should have been there for her at the time of recovery just really seemed to be too self-involved. Mary had to fix up and maintain her own prosthetic limbs because she had no financial support and couldn't afford to buy good ones. She even used parts from old broken refrigerators and stereo systems to modify her arms. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. That is. I can't believe she was able to do that. I know. She's, so she's super smart, and I think she's pretty underrated, too. She also tried to get a home, but she couldn't afford to pay her mortgage and was eventually foreclosed on. This led to her having to squat in an abandoned gas station. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad for her. I know. Meanwhile, her attacker is being paid for 
you know, given free room and board, and she's homeless. I just want to take a quick break from our story to play a promo for one of my personal favorite podcasts, True Crime Island. Cambo covers true crime stories in a very interesting way, and if you want to feel your righteous indignation, this is a good podcast for you. Do you get mad when listening to true crime? Well, so do I. If you want a weekly true crime podcast that says what you're thinking, then grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is Cambo from True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, and maintain the rage with me. Visit truecrimeisland.com where you can download or stream each episode, plus there's links to iTunes and social media. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island. So let's talk about Larry and his prison escapades. After Larry got out of jail, every community he tried to settle in got upset and forced him out of town. And yeah, who would want this monster as their neighbor? So, like I just said, remember how Mary got no financial support from the government? Well, Larry got housed in a caravan within a prison during his parole. So this murderer got free housing and probably everything he needed while his victim is thrown out on the streets and cut off from her disability insurance and for the most ridiculous reason. After his parole, Larry was free and moved back to Tampa, Florida. He was an alcoholic before he attacked Mary. On parole, they had made him attend AA meetings. But now he was back on the wagon and drinking up to two gallons of booze a day. That's like 10 bottles, and that would probably kill a normal person whose body hasn't learned to process that much booze. He was arrested again in 1990 for stealing a disposable camera. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He got 60 days for that. But then, just six weeks after getting out, he got caught shoplifting again. He had put a $3 hat on his head and walked out of a store with it on. Yeah, he claimed that he was so excited for being able to buy an entire shopping cart full of adult diapers for only $5. What? And that's why he forgot to pay for the hat. Which is actually pretty funny. Like, what a sad, strange little man. (laughs) Don't bring Toy Story into this. (laughs) But he claimed the diapers were for an Alzheimer's patient he was caring for. What? He's caring for an Alzheimer's patient? No, no. Get real, man. No 60-something-year-old murderer fresh out of prison is given a job caring for Alzheimer's patients. The diapers were obviously for himself. I would hope not. And how do I know this? When he got arrested, he gave police a false name at the arrest. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was charged with shoplifting and obstructing police and sentenced to another two years. Yeah, so because he lied about his name, that probably packed on the time for him. But still, two years after everything we know he's done, it's just not enough. So we already don't like Larry Singleton. And we know Mary fought as hard as she could to survive because she wanted to save anyone else that could have been terrorized by him. But he only got eight years in lockup. Then he was in and out of jail. But all of this led to his next big Horrifying accomplishment. 
On February 19, 1997, a man named Paul Hitson made his way over to Larry Singleton's house after being hired to paint for Larry. He was popping in unexpectedly to check on the progress and to see if he needed any more supplies to finish the job. His uncle was with him. As they pulled into Larry's driveway, they noticed the back doors of his van were open, with a carpet roll hanging out of the back. Paul walked to the front door and knocked once, as he said, Hey, Bill, I'm here, then let himself in. Yeah, apparently Larry was telling people his name was Bill now. Interesting. Paul noticed that there were pills scattered on the table in the house, and he thought nothing of it, because he knew Larry's house was always a mess. He noticed the strong smell of booze in the house. He heard a cry for help, and walked further into the house. He heard another cry for help as he got closer. Yeah, so Paul said, quote, It sounded weak and muffled, and just choking, like gurgling sounds. That sounds like someone needs help. Yeah. Paul made his way to the edge of the living room and peeked in to see Larry on top of a woman on the couch. He figures that they're just having sex, but it sounded a bit rough. Really? That's what Uh, he figures? (laughs) uh Uh-huh. A bit concerned, he went outside and grabbed a shovel from the side of the house, then got his uncle to come in with him. Together, they looked into the living room window. They saw Larry hunched over the woman with his hands around the woman's neck. She cried out for help again, and Larry smacked her and told her to shut up. So at this point, you'd think Paul and his uncle would run in and smack this dude with the shovel and try to get this, try to help this woman out. And right. she's being attacked by this old nasty fart machine that's more than twice her age. Larry was 70 years old at this point. And Paul and his uncle just kept watching, doing nothing, as this woman cried out for help and tried to fight to defend herself. What's wrong with these idiots? I know, it's just like the Corvette people. Like, Like, why aren't they helping her? I mean, how fortunate would it have been for this story if they had shown up right in time to save her? I mean, they could have saved her life and been heroes, but instead they watched... For the free show, apparently. Why did they grab the shovel then? I figured that was like a a weapon. Yeah, you'd think. But, I don't know, they just were waiting. I don't know if they maybe they weren't sure what was going on, or they were afraid, or whatever, but... Oh my gosh. Based on her injuries, which we're not going to go into great detail here, you can look them up if you want, but... The attack was brutal. Like... They must have seen more than just him on top of her, choking her. But Mm. let's move on. As they stared at Larry on top of this woman, Larry plunged his arms as hard as he could into the woman's chest, and the two men watching heard a sound like chicken bones cracking. And that was the last thing they heard out of the woman. It had been six whole minutes since Paul showed up and heard the cries for help. But he didn't freaking do anything until it was too late. Were they just completely shocked and, like, frozen, maybe? Well, they better have been, because that's the only only excuse for letting it go this long. Paul and his uncle finally called 911 after this. (sighs) So, we're going to talk a little bit about who this woman was. Unfortunately, there's not a whole bunch of information about her, but, I mean, she's... 
this she is a victim of the law the legal system not doing the right thing in Mary's case. Right. I mean this whole her whole death could have been prevented. She had Okay, let's talk about who she was. <laughs> okay. Well, she was a 31-year-old woman named Roxanne Hayes. She was a mother with three children. She did some sex work on the side to help support her family. Larry was one of her regular hookups. He would typically offer her $20 for oral sex, but she would also cook and clean for him. She had three children, and this all could have been prevented. But, uh, I mean, he should have still been in prison, but then there were these people that watched her attack happen. But, anyway, it seems like for some reason she had a soft spot for Larry... Or cared about him a little bit because, I mean, she was cooking and cleaning for him. and But for money, right? Well, that's unclear. But, <sighs> like I said, this could have all been prevented if he was locked up for life like he should have been. When the police showed up at Larry's house, it took him a couple of minutes to answer. And I don't know what took him so long because he sure didn't appear to be ready to answer the door. When Larry opened the door, he had blood all over his shirt. His fly was unzipped, and his penis was hanging out with a condom still on it. What? I know. Like, I don't know if he had dementia or if he thought showing up at the door like that would make him look like he's busy enough for the officer to just be like, oh, okay, I'll I'll leave, you know, like leave him to his own business. But Mm. who answers the door like that? He, well, he's pretty old now, right? Well, 70, that's not like... No, it's not. There's a lot going on. I can't think of any good reason to do that. I think I think he was trying to just, I don't know, look busy. <laughs> look busy with blood on your shirt? Well, I, I don't know. This guy isn't right in the head. No. But let's continue... The officer asked Larry why he had been called to this house for a domestic dispute. Larry said he was in a loud argument with his girlfriend. He said she was inside and everything was okay now. He insisted the officer could leave. But the officer noticed that Larry was really jittery and seemed nervous. And had a condom on and his penis was out and there was blood on his shirt. Blood on his shirt. I mean, come on now. Yeah, Larry was moving side to side, acting strange and just jabbering insisting over and over that the officer didn't need to be there, which is pretty suspicious. The officer asked why he had blood on his chest. Larry told him that he had been cutting turnips and actually cut his Accidentally chest. cut his chest. How the heck do you cut your chest while you're chopping veggies? I don't know. This guy's so dumb. Then Larry's phone rang and he went in to answer it. The deputy followed him in. He looked around, and as he peeked into the living room, he saw a foot of someone on the floor. He looked further and saw a naked woman lying face down. She was laying in a really unnatural position. She had cuts on her back and hands, and her eyes were closed and nose was bloody. It was clear at this point that the deputy needed to call for backup. Then he handcuffed Larry Singleton and threw him in the car. So... After all this, Larry, his what he said to the police was, we had an argument and she threw something at me, so I killed her. 
And I guess that makes me a murderer. What? So you got me now. And it's about time. Newsflash. He had been a murderer for 20 freaking years. Upon examination of Roxanne, they they discovered that she had been stabbed multiple times. Mary Vincent actually volunteered to testify about how much Larry Singleton had ruined her life. Yeah, so this was her chance to finally put him away. But he still had freedom for the majority of his life. He got 10 free years after attacking her. And it could have been 12 if he didn't shoplift like an idiot. She looked him in the eye and raised her prosthetic arm to point out her attacker in court, 20 years after he brutalized her. But Singleton showed no emotion during her testimony. She told the court, I was raped and I had my hands cut off. He used a hatchet and he left me to die. Seriously, how, how could this prick just get another chance to do this to someone else? And just like in Mary's case, he tried to blame the victim. He testified that Roxanne attacked him with a knife, and he was trying to grab the knife away from her when the blade plunged into her seven times. Seriously, how stupid... How would the blade plunge into her seven times when he's trying to take it away? Like, how stupid does he think everyone else is? Pretty stupid, because he's been getting off pretty easy. That's a good point. So... Like... If anything, why not try? The way the law has treated him has trained him that he can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so finally, he was sentenced to death. But in 2001, before they could execute him, he died of cancer. <sighs> I mean, cancer's not a great way to go, but it's like he's constantly cheating the system, you know? Like, you would hope that he would would have served a good chunk of time on death row. Right. But instead, he died naturally, basically. Which, I mean, cancer is not a natural way to die, but... <sighs> Just wish he would have served more time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, remember last week, as Mary laid in that concrete pipe on the edge of death, she put an enormous amount of effort into getting out of the pipe, up the cliff up the cliff and onto the road so she could make sure this never happened to another person at the hand of Larry Singleton. But sadly, even after all the hardships um, that she had to endure with her unimaginable new circumstances, not even that wish was granted. She had to suffer for years with this anxiety of knowing her attacker was free, then watch her attacker victimize someone else. This poor woman couldn't catch one single break, So, that's why we're talking about her today. She's such a great example, and she should be a celebrity in the world of survivors, because her family let her down. The legal system let her down. She never got any solid financial assistance, not even with her prosthetic arms. And then the one thing that drove her to survive didn't even work out. This walking pile of dog crap only served eight years of his 14-year sentence, which was already way too short, for attempting to murder a 15-year-old girl after raping and torturing her and brutally hacking off her arms and essentially ruining her entire life. And what did he get for it but another opportunity to victimize someone else? So great job, 1978 California legal system. 
they couldn't have made some new legislation to properly punish him for this type of crime. This, seriously, there's just no justice at all for this poor woman. And literally the only thing she escaped with was her life. But it's not the life she wanted. Mary said herself, This isn't living. It's just surviving. She struggled with suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so much damage that it can never be undone. And she has gotten her life together since then, and she's been married and had two sons, but since she has been divorced. But, like I said before, she can't look at her hands without remembering her brutal attack. Like, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. A lot of, of survivors, you know, it's in their mind, it's burned into their mind, but they don't have a physical reminder like this every second of every yeah. waking moment <laughs> like she can't have one waking moment of her life where she's not reminded of it and, mm, right ugh. no she's not able to caress the cheeks of her two sons she's not able to hold the hands of a lover she has this constant reminder of limitations put on her life and this all happened when she was only 15 years old <sighs> so yeah Thank you again to whoever recommended this story um, because it's incredible. And be sure to reach out to us and let us know it was you so we can thank you either on our show or just, you know, if you don't want us to mention you, we just want to thank you again. Mm -hmm. But, man, so much to think about in this case. And just... Yeah. Just... uh this is a good case if you feel like being angry, <laughs> you know, like righteous anger. Like, how could this happen? Also, if you're having a really bad day, do you have both your arms? Maybe your day doesn't have to be so bad. Yeah, I should remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, can you pick up the pen on your desk? Maybe your day isn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it really puts things in perspective to think about this. And it didn't even end there. There are so many, such a laundry list of things that she had to go through during the attack and after the attack. Like, the thing that gets me is she was trying to help the other students in her school. And they basically laughed her off the stage. Hmm. And the school didn't do anything about it. That's to try to support her. Kids can be so cruel. It's like... It just doesn't seem like anyone gave her the respect and support she deserved. Which is so strange, because she survived through such a... I can't even... I don't even know Unbelievable. How yeah. Circumstances. Yeah. But, thankfully... I mean... She is alive, and she has two sons, and, I mean, I think she's protect protecting her identity now. Like, she doesn't want to be famous because she wants to keep her family safe, which is great. But hopefully she's doing well now, as well as she can, mm -hmm. you know. But, whew, yeah, I don't know. There's nothing I can say to relate to this because it's so ridiculous. Um, so, should we wrap it up? 
Ah, <sighs> yeah, I suppose so. Do you have anything else you want to say about it before we? About this case? Yeah. I don't think so. It's just one of those cases where there was never the justice served that needed to be served. Yeah, it's frustrating. But okay, huh? Well, thank you guys for um, taking the time to listen to her story because it it really is just educational for all of us. Um, just to think about and give it, you know, time to stew in our heads and really put things in perspective. So, with that all said, let's shift things to be a little more positive and (laughs) share another review. Yeah, this one is from Fall Girl 12 in Canada. Can I read this one? Yeah. All right. It's five stars, my favorite (laughs) podcast. Ooh, spelled favorite with a U. That's really classy. Oops. Um, So this is Fall Girl from Canada. Did you already say that? I did. Okay. She said, this is my favorite podcast. It brings a light to the problem of abuse and those who suffered it. This podcast actually really helped me get a grip on my own bit of sexual harassment. It is now easy to talk about it knowing that others have suffered even worse and have the courage to share their story. Team Ryan and Rosie. That's nice. This is such a sweet review. It is. Because, like, the whole Team Ryan and Rosie thing, you know, (laughs) we are on the same team. (laughs) Well, at least... We are. We are on the same team. I don't want to foster a spirit of of, uh, competition because I don't like competition all that much, unless it's like a game, but... In life, we're not competitors. We're all on the same team. We all need to support each other. So true, man. So true. So true. Okay. I don't know what the heck that was, but... All right. We have... We left you a little cliffhanger cliffhanger last week about cat stories, cat news. It's not even that great of a story, really. I thought it was hilarious. Well, then you tell it. Okay, so... um. Last week, we told you what Burrito did first thing in the morning, but we left the house. We came home two hours later, and <laughs> uh, you had left something on the bed. What was that? I just left like my tray with my jewelry box on the bed. Yeah. Because I sit on the dresser sometimes to do my hair. <laughs> and all our clothes were put away in drawers, right? Yeah, but it was open to crack. Okay, so Rosie's drawer was open to crack. My drawer was open to crack. And we had this tray on the bed. Well, we got home. The tray was pushed off the bed and tipped upside down. My jewelry boxes. <laughs> Every single piece of clothing from Rosie's bottom drawer was pulled out and thrown all over the bedroom. My underwear drawer. Like, what? <laughs> they were doing a panty raid. Yeah. And then every single pair of socks I own was taken out of my drawer and brought to the living room. <laughs> Just spread out. He loves socks. <laughs> And I guarantee it was all burrito, because <laughs> he does. He he stands on top of my dresser and pulls clothes out of it and just throws them on the floor. Yep. And he arm, plays with the socks. He like fish hooks his arm in the drawer. And... Yeah, he can be like passed out, just completely asleep. And if you throw 
like if I take my socks off at the end of the day, bundle them up and like throw them towards the hamper while I'm chilling on the couch, he will out of a dead sleep, just suddenly shoot up and chase the socks, pick them up and bring them back to me. He's obsessed with socks. He's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bald socks, I should say. He loves it when they're wrapped into a ball. Yeah. Right. So anyway, he's a goofball. And I'm glad we had some good cat stories to share this week. <laughs> so good. So with the cat news out of the way, let's do our final plugs and then wrap her up. All right. Do you want me to do the plugs this week? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you want to support us and get some free content, there's five bonus episodes plus a couple more at the $5 level. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, which is always linked in the show notes and on our Instagram and on our Facebook and pretty much everywhere. Or if you just type in Voice of the Victim Podcast on Patreon, it should come up. Then you can follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast and Twitter at VOV Pod and email us at VOV Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Be sure to leave us a five star review and you can be a part of our show. Yeah. We would very much appreciate it. Yeah. We, every week, will share another five star review with you guys until we run out. So help us not run out by <laughs> leaving us new ones. <laughs> All right. So. Thank you guys so much for listening this week and suffering through that um, ridiculous, enraging story. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.